Hello, and thanks again for tuning in to Q Longevity's podcast. Today, it's another automobile musing where I'm discussing a topic called clutching my pearls. And this uh, will be explained in the in the podcast, but it's really focusing on how people resist making change that they're afraid to make. And too often, fear guides us into decisions or guides us into not making decisions when it would be our best interest. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And remember, Q Longevity is brought to you by Dr. David Cortell, myself, and Dr. Evan Queller. And we have a full spectrum of programs that we offer to help you improve your health longevity so that you can look better, feel better, and function better. Thanks so much and hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Clutching your pearls is a phrase that refers to something that might happen where you might say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And the image that would be conjured would be maybe a a 1920s rapper woman who's standing on a street and sees a uh, an automobile crash and someone got injured, like, oh my gosh, and would clutch her pearls to her chest because she's afraid of something or there might be a thief running by and she's going to clutch her pearls so nobody will take them. And the term clutching my pearls or clutching your pearls refers to that shock. It's like, oh, I, I just couldn't do that. I couldn't think of that. And I bring that up because... I see people clutching their pearls every single day when I'm working with patients and they're clutching the pearls over things that I don't believe are pearl clutching, um, that weren't clutching their pearls. And I'm referring specifically to speaking about dietary changes. And the dietary changes that I typically recommend are dietary changes that um, I don't find significantly difficult because I've been practicing them for a long time. Just as uh, a, a regular runner doesn't find running five miles very difficult because they've been practicing running for a long time. But if I were to ask the average person who's not a runner, hey, let's go run five miles, they might clutch their pearls like, oh my gosh, I, I couldn't do that. It would be too much. And the same type of person that wouldn't be able to run five miles today barring an injury or some sort of deformity, is the same type of person who after the practice is now a five-mile runner. And it's the same thing when it comes to dietary changes. However, when we talk about running, it's very easy to see. Well, if I were running five miles a day, the benefit would be I would have better cardiovascular uh, um, health, my muscles would be stronger, my waist would be slimmer, I would be in better shape, I, like the, the benefits of running we can all you know discuss and all agree upon, again, barring any injury or, or deformity or, or de, uh, infirmity that would um, prevent you from being a runner. But when it comes to dietary changes, those benefits are a little bit more uh, esoteric, a little bit out of grasp. Like you, you can't really see them as quickly and as readily. And how can me eating a cheeseburger today really affect my overall health in the future? You know, a lot of people don't see it. I mean, we hear it on the news. We understand, oh, red meat's not good for me. That's why I only eat it two, maybe three times a week, not any more than that, without realizing how bad that is for us. And this has a, a strong base of, uh, this thought comes from a strong base of our cultural identity. And we've had many things in our culture over years, depending on how old you are, you can remember some of them, 
um, you know, as far back as uh, in the 1920s, 1930s, they recommended smoking for asthma. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, the, uh, the the president back from um, Theodore Roosevelt back in the turn of the uh, 18th, excuse me, the 19th to the 20th century, um, he was an asthmatic child as a, uh, when he was young in the 1800s, and his doctors recommended him to smoke cigars to cure his asthma. There was a time where um, people would have martinis regularly, like a two martini lunch in the 1950s and 1960s in an effort to, uh, you know, just be social at lunch. I could not imagine having a martini or two and then heading back into the office and taking care of patients. But this is something that people did all the time. Um, we could look at um, in the 1940s and the 1950s, they recommended heart attack patients, people with cardiovascular disease, to not exercise. They should just stay home and rest and convalesce. We know that that you know, was killing people. And then, you know, through the ages, we have all sorts of other things that we've recommended. There, there was the... Uh, the fat-free craze in the 1980s and 1990s where everybody was eating fat-free bagels and donuts and thinking that they were doing something beneficial for their health and wondering why they were getting fat and they weren't eating fat. So there are these long-term held belief patterns that um, make their way into lifestyle and healthy recommendations. The other influencing part is where does the financing for these thought processes come from? In other words, is there a monetary gain behind people doing certain things? For instance, I don't know how much of a monetary gain there was when um, they were telling patients with cardiovascular disease to convalesce, but there was a big monetary gain when the uh, fat-free industry excuse me, when the, when the fat-free recommendations came out because there was a big industry that was built up in all sorts of fat-free stuff. And I remember bagel stores were booming in business because bagels were fat-free. I think they still are fat-free. I don't really, I mean, unless there's some cream cheese on them. But um, we all know that, of course, bagels are a highly refined carbohydrate and aren't going to do well for your body when eaten in, uh, you know, in any sort of quantity. But when we talk about where is the uh, where's the value in this, where's the, the benefit in people eating poorly, and I say eating poorly, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but it is eating poorly when we're eating regular uh, doses of meat or you know cow flesh in our in our diet. There is a big industry built around beef. I'm on the highway now. I don't know if you can hear any background information, but I find that sometimes um, the recording is a uh, on the highway is not a bad thing. Some Anyway, I just passed a, 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 um, a billboard that said beef. It's what's for dinner. And there is a significant built-in economy toward our consumption of meat and flesh. And it's very hard sometimes to make these recommendations for health care and healthy eating when there are strong financial lobbies and strong financial backing toward eating a certain way. And then this filters into commercials on TV, it filters into billboard ads, it filters into the choices we make at restaurants, it even filters into the choices that are made for uh, creating school lunches for our children. And all of this together greatly influences our decision making. How could it be wrong? How could it be bad that I'm eating beef if the billboard tells me, the commercials on TV tell me, they're feeding it to my children in skin, in skin in school. They're using um, uh, the uh, these recommendations in 
the uh, the food pyramid that the government puts out, if there's beef on the food pyramid, then how can you tell me it's bad and it's wrong? And it's a it's a very difficult argument. It's a, it's a very difficult thing to discuss. And this is what causes a pearl clutching sensation. When we add to it that beef is delicious, most people find this. There's some people that don't like beef. They either an aversion, they have an aversion to the meat, or they don't like the fact that um, we're you know slaughtering animals for our consumption. I mean, there are, there's all sorts of humane and environmental reasons, and then even an extra reason. But the majority of people love meat, love bacon, love chicken, love eating animal products. So when we combine the fact that we see it culturally, we see it, there's a monetary uh, component to it, there's a governmental component to it, and we love it, it really makes it very hard to then accept when someone comes up to you who says, oh, and by the way, you should stop eating all your steak. Why would I do that? There's no other reason for it. Sure, I, I hear it's bad for my heart, but I've never had heart disease before. I've never had a heart attack before. And even though we stop thinking we're invincible in our 20s and 30s, you remember when you were, you were a teen, you could you know, jump off buildings and you felt like you were invincible. We still have some of that in, in, invincible quality left in our in our mindset. As we get older, like, oh, I see heart attacks happen, but it's not going to happen to me. And I know this because I have patients who have heart attacks uh, on, a, on a periodic basis. Not the same patient, of course, but different people come in and, uh, you know, existing patients of mine that have had heart attacks. I'm like, yeah, I couldn't believe that it happened to me. Rarely does somebody come in and say, yep, I was expecting a heart attack. I've been uh, treating my body very poorly. And all of a sudden I had the heart attack that I was expecting. It was a day or two later than I expected, but it arrived anyway. Most people are shocked and become apoplectic that they were the ones that suffered from a heart attack. And they like it's it doesn't become real to them until it happens. So this is this is a, a real challenge. So when I discuss eating differently with patients, it's a clutching a pearl type of a moment. And almost everybody who has to change their diet, everybody who has to change what they're doing make lifestyle changes, will encounter some degree of clutching their own pearls. Like, I don't want to do that. But if we can separate the emotional activity, the emotional feeling, the emotions that well up within us when we hear something that's new, foreign, or different, and then we can take that information and process it intellectually, we don't clutch our pearls so quickly. For instance, there's no reason that a woman on the street corner witnessing a car accident who clutches her pearls like, oh my gosh, how's clutching the pearls going to help? If there's a burglar running around you know, snatching purses, clutching your pearls doesn't make a difference, right? It's that emotional reaction and that deep-seated emotional tone that we have when we're treated within or when we're delivered information that's far and different, new and, and confrontational is going to greatly influence our choice just as our emotional um, tone was set with our cultural and governmental and financial influences and our, our, the way that things taste, we're also going to experience a difficulty with making a choice when emotion is baked in. However, we can unbake the emotion from the decision, not entirely, not permanently, but unbake the emotion from the decision 
just momentarily and say, listen, I, I understand what it is that you're saying. A, it's not something I want to do. B, it's not something I believe because I, I believe something different because I've, I've been taught something different. And C, not only do I not want to do it, not only do I, I, I don't believe it, I don't even know how to do it. You're telling me that I have to give up my turkey. I eat a turkey sandwich for lunch every day. What am I going to do in the future? So if we can get past that emotional uh, trauma, that, that psychological stab of, oh, my God, we can then sit down and practically begin to put it in line. Say, okay, well, I, I kind of do know in the back of my mind that I shouldn't be eating beef as much as I, I, I would like to. The, the doctors, the researchers, the hospitals, the clinics, they all kind of say it. And I kind of know that there's some validity to it. So instead of worrying about how I feel about it, let me worry about how I could do it. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I'm just going to worry about how could it be done. Theoretically, if I didn't have a deep craving for it, theoretically, if I didn't have um, a challenge discovering new foods, theoretically, if I was able to create new taste bud sensations with different uh, different meals, is it something that I could possibly change? Or is it something that I could possibly create in my life, decreasing my flesh consumption and increasing my consumption of other foods that are healthy for me and better for me? And that's really the big key here. This is the big thrust that we're looking for, is a removal of that emotional shock when, when confronted with something new and an introduction of an intellectual and a reasonable thought pattern of, listen, okay, I get it. This is for me. I, look, I'll, I'll tell you straight up too. When I have patients come in and they're eating poorly, it doesn't benefit me if they eat better. I mean, it, I guess it does when you think about the term a rising tide lifts all ships. And if these patients get better, these humans get better, it, it's better for my community, it's better for my society, people have greater degrees of health and happiness, people are able to engage in more living in life, and in, in the long run, that's better. However, for me personally, it's better if they die off more quickly. A, if they're eating poorly, they're going to be sick and in pain more often. They're going to make more visits to my office. If they're sick and in pain more often, they become better spenders on different products that I have to sell for them that get them out of pain and help to get rid of their symptoms. I, I provide this for patients, although I consistently recommend don't keep doing what you're doing or else you're going to have to keep you know, taking care of your health. In addition, the earlier that they die, the less of a burden they become on our Social Security and our Medicare system, which means that Social Security and Medicare are going to be around a lot longer, which benefits me. And from a selfish standpoint, financially, I win if you stay sick. And this is not just me. This is the entire healthcare model that we have built. The sicker you stay, the better it is for a provider of healthcare because it makes them more money. However, if you become healthier, you will enjoy a better life. And I know that I want to be healthy, and my real goal is to help people, not help uh, you know help my business earn money. Although I am in business to earn money, my my goal when I went into this field, when I became a chiropractor, to deliver healthcare, 
was to help people. And helping people the best way that I know how is through helping them increase their their structural health, increasing the health of the fuel that they put into their body, and increasing their emotional, mental health. And that triune, the structure, the fuel, and the mental, is really our basic thrust of work. So the hands-on work that I do is a lot of structural, and then the fuel is a big one. And if we continuously eat foods that are bad for us, we're going to have bad health. There's, there's no way around it. You can't put sugar in a gas tank and expect that car to go. The car needs a very specific fuel. The human body needs a very specific fuel. And, um, and, and if we can get to the point where we're delivering that fuel on a regular, consistent basis, it doesn't have to be every meal, every day, all the time, but it's on a regular, consistent basis. It's rare and appropriate. It's rare and appropriate. Thanksgiving, I can tell you, I'm going to saddle up to the kitchen table, not the dining room table, and I'm going to eat copious amounts of food, and I'm going to be sick on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afterward because my body is not used to eating that way. But that hour of eating, I'll enjoy, and then the next 72 hours, I'm going to be very unhappy. So this is, um, uh, you know, something you can do rare and appropriate. But when we talk about changing our lifestyle, the clutching of the pearl, that initial response of, oh, my gosh, I can't do that, it's one that we really, really can overcome if we practice some mental fortitude, if we practice some stoicism, if we practice staring into the face of potential pain, staring into the face of potential fear, staring into the face. I shouldn't say potential. It is that there is a pain of changing the diet. It, it's hard to cut down these foods. It's it's there's a lot of uh, fear and things that you, you know you it's it's fear of the unknown. How am I going to do it? And it does require a lot of bravery to do. And bravery is the act of doing something even though you're afraid. And the stoicism that you have, the the, the deep fortitude, that stiff upper lip that you can that you can manufacture within your body that will then allow you to listen with an open mind, an open thought process. Okay, hey, how is this done? How can I be successful? I'm not saying that I'm going to be. I'm not saying that I choose this. I'm just wondering, is there a path? Is there a, is there a map that shows me how I can get this done if I chose to do it? And what would it look like if I did it? And then, and only then, if it makes sense to you, if it makes sense to you on a fundamental level, then I encourage you to try it. I, I, when patients ask me all the time, say, well, you know, when do I have to keep doing this treatment? And I tell them, look, if what we're doing makes sense, you keep it up. If what we're doing is helping you reach and attain your goals, you keep it up. If what we're doing is, is something that is making progress for you and we have goals that we can look forward to, we should see this in the future and that in the future. Then we keep it up. If you've met all your healthcare goals, if your waist circumference at an inch above your belly button is less than one half of your height, if your blood pressure is lower than 120 over 80, if you're exercising 40 to 90 minutes every single day, if you're having two bowel movements or more a day that are satisfying and full, if your, uh, your gas and your flatulence or your farts are not smelly, then, then you know what? Keep going. You have clear skin. You sleep well every night. You wake up well rested. You're full of energy and your body is feeling better than it has at any other time in your life, then keep going. You're doing a great job. I don't, I, you're not the person that I'd like to talk to. 
the person that I'd like to talk to is about somebody who would like to make change. And if you'd like to make change, don't touch your pearls. Listen with an open mind for a period of time and decide, is this something that I could do? And if it's something that you could do, then ask yourself, why am I not doing it? Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And remember, reach out to us at drqlongevity at gmail.com. Find us on social media at drqlongevity or look us up on our website, qlongevity.com. We have programs for everybody, including a lot of great free information to help you improve the way you look, feel, function, lose weight, have greater longevity and better health span. See you next time.